This is exactly right. Like this sex lighting. I don't know about you. This is definitely some it's some pretty, under eye yeah. lighting. Well, it's haunting. It's ghoulish. <laughs> That's what we're all about. Yeah. How are you guys? Is everything good? We're so excited to be back here. This is where we were last time. Minus yes. the U in our name on yes. the marquee. Right. Which we miss a lot. Changes have been made. <laughs> Calls have been made. U's have been removed. <laughs> Um, we did probably the most rock and roll thing we've ever done tonight, which is drive up in one of those vans and take a left through our own line to drive in. Yeah. It's pretty rad. It was either, very cool. It was either that or it was just people that had been kind of kicked off the sidewalk and were forced <laughs> to go down that way and were not interested in one way at all. Could have been that. It could have been. But I chose to see it as a kind of Rolling Stones situation. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I already said that. Um, <laughs> so this is the second to last show of our UK and Ireland tour. Yes. We know now those are two different things. Yeah. About two days in, my deodorant just decided to quit yeah. on me. So I went to the uh, TK Maxx and got the good shit. I'm sorry. I don't understand that. I'm from America. Where we call it TJ Maxx. That's <laughs> the stupidest fucking, like, boot and trunk I'm fine with. TJ Maxx and TK Maxx is, come on. Someone on one side of the Atlantic or the other. Pick a, pick a letter. Pick a, uh, pick a different thing. Entire, pick up like ten different letters. Um, what happened to TK Maxx? I bought some um, shapewear. Because I forgot that. Yeah. And it's this weird kind of where it's like the, the boobs are cut out. Neat. So like, because they don't want to flatten your boobs. Yeah. They're just like, we know you just want to flatten this part and not this part. So I kind of look like I'm wearing, like I'm a cop wearing a holster or something. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty badass. That's dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that cut-out boobs are going to make you perform differently, kind of like Bull Durham, where when he's wearing women's underwear, he's yeah. a good pitcher? Well, they're like, let's not, let's not flatten these out, because this is what she's got. This is all she's got to work with. <laughs> cut them on out. <laughs> cut them on out. <clears throat> what about your dress? My dress? Oh, it just has some pockets. That's not a big deal. It's not, it's not a big deal. Jesus, for one second I was like, that microphone's gonna drop out I of your know, pocket. I so too. You're gonna have to pay this theater 10,000 sterling. <laughs> um, 
I have to show you a photo. Okay. Okay, so we're staying at this hotel that it's really old. It used to be like um, a school and it used to also be an insane asylum. So it's definitely fucking haunted. <laughs> like for sure. It's called the Broadmoor Arms Hotel. <laughs> Definitely haunted, and Vince and I went out for a walk last night, got home kind of late, and like the, the hallways are really small, and it's really dim, and you just keep turning these, it's like a maze. And, so, and there's urchins in the corner saying, please, sir, please, may I have some more? Yeah. So I was like, this is definitely haunted. If we're going to see a ghost, it's now. And so we turn a corner, I'm first, and this is what I see. I was really startled. This is terrifying. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> I literally turned a corner. It's like he was waiting for us. <laughs> That's the werewolf of London. <laughs> oh. It was so startling and yet adorable. What's his name? Time. I don't know. He wouldn't tell me. Really? No. That's not a talking dog. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's Henry. I don't know. <laughs> He's got his own sweet plaque. He was so happy to see us. What if he was like, could you please be quiet? <laughs> trying to have my midnight tea. <laughs> oh, <laughs> little wee guy. Well, I also have a picture. I heard. Okay. I'm nervous. There's rumors going around. Um, so, uh, Georgia likes to sleep on planes and trains and automobiles, as we all know. <laughs> I can take a nap anywhere. It's great. She's into it. She's got eyewear. She's, but I guess on this last flight that we took from Dublin to London. Oh no, I know what it's going to be. She left her eyewear somewhere because I turned <laughs> to see what she was doing. I was oh, like no. on the aisle over and I turned and looked and this is what I saw. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh. Where was London? There's never been a worse photo of me. <laughs> it's really bad. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I actually texted her and said, I'm going to send, to show a picture of you tonight. Do you want me to run it by you first? Because it, and then she went, is it bad? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> or I wouldn't ask. If you were like, oh, cute and hot, I'd be like, guess what? Too bad. You're out of this decision-making process. But I was like, is it okay? Vince gave me his beanie. <laughs> And then had to pretend not to see me like that for the whole flight. For all of the Americans in the audience, doesn't she look like that one character from Fat Albert? <laughs> I, that, I hate that photo. So okay, much. so sorry, so sorry. It's okay. It wasn't a gotcha photo. No, it's a before photo. But I... <laughs> Whoa. Can you believe... Ooh, Ooh. We have a lazy Susan cocktail table tonight. <laughs> Yes. Now we won't know whose stories are whose. <laughs> you know I hate that. Yep. I'll check both. I'll check both. I stayed in my hotel room all day long. <laughs> because my hotel room looks like a little apartment from the Victorian times. Mm -hmm. Except for all the phones and TVs and stuff. And, um... I basically sat by the window with like a shawl around my shoulders, <laughs> writing with a quill. It was, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. It is. I'm like, what's outside? We have a TK Maxx where I like, who gives a fuck? I'm staying in here where the fantasy lives. Oh, it's so charming. It's so nice. Oh, this is my favorite murder of the That's podcast. Right. That's It's a true crime podcast. Thank you. This is Karen Kilgarris. This is Georgia Hardstark. Oh, I got you right on the neck. 
And sit down time? Should we? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Oh. Okay. Okay. Oh, we have a bath mat, a nice yeah. bath mat. We each get our own bath mat to yeah. take home. Thank you. That's really nice. Thank you. This oh my is too God. high. Okay, this is... <laughs> this is very high. I think it goes down a little. Yeah, be careful. Is this part game show, part true crime live podcast? <laughs> oh, no. God. Oh, dear. Are you oh, it's it? wobbly. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, oh. than you now, though. Yeah, come down here. I can't find the... It's, um... Oh, yeah. oh. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> come on down. Yeah. This way we won't fall off. Okay, that's true. Yeah, or perfect. if we do, it won't be very far. There we go. <laughs> oh. Just sit naturally. <laughs> this is like some fucking... Beatrix Potter, like, Mrs. Wibble Wobble's live podcast. <laughs> you got it? I think I so. I want to scoot closer to the table, but I refuse to get up. No, don't. It's going to be a fucking we, can, we don't have time to reset. We have to no. get into this. <clears throat> okay, it's time for the speech. Yeah, do you want to tell them? Uh, most of you know the speech. At this point, it's kind of, there. there's really no point, except for the fact that a handful of you insist upon bringing outsiders. Um, <laughs> please listen to this thing I love. No, I'm not interested in true crime. Do it anyway. Okay. I guess it'll be the kind of evening we're going to have. So you're the people I'm talking to. We call you the victims. <laughs> <laughs> or the drag-alongs. This is a true crime comedy podcast. Some people are not comfortable with that combination because they immediately assume it's disrespectful. So we feel the need to explain up top. George and I have loved true crime since we were very kind of dangerously young. And parallel to that, we have always dealt with the hardships in our lives through humor. It's how we were raised and how we cope. And so now when we talk about what we believe to be the worst things that can happen to people, that can happen to a family, that can happen to an individual, while we talk about it, we often feel the need to make jokes during it. Um, and that's just our coping mechanism for dealing with the horrible shit that seems to need to go on day after day in this fucking world. So, uh, we just want you to know that uh, that's how we do business, and if you don't like it, you can get the fuck out. Very politely, get the fuck out. And not defensively, we'd also like you to know that our last show at Dublin, we had a pastor who came to the meet and greet. <laughs> yeah. And we were, we were both like... <laughs> and he was a humongous fan. Yeah. So if he can handle it, then your delicate sensibilities. He's no. closer to God than you are, for fuck's sake. <laughs> He's fine with it. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. 
companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code SPACE80. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. <laughs> um, it's I, me. It's me. It's you. It is. Okay. Okay. Parents first. I feel like I went first last time when I did Jack the Ripper and had a nervous breakdown on this very stage. I had to watch you silently sweating <laughs> from across the, the non-wobbly table all night. There's ju- I didn't think it through <laughs> that the people who would know best about every fucking minute detail of the Jack the Ripper case would be in this room with us until I was in paragraph two going, and then, uh-oh. Like, it all felt like I was, the whole thing was going straight into corrections corner. Like, it was going to be a 29-hour corrections uh, corner when I got back. I was fucking sweating. It was... Pages seemed like they go on forever. Oh, it was like, a, it, was, it was terrible. Now, when we got backstage and we had a meet and greet that night right behind this curtain and we met all kinds of awesome people and there was one woman who was like, oh, no, no, this is my, Jack the Ripper's my whole thing, and you did fine. And I was just like, oh, my God, thank God. Like, I truly almost cried. Um, you know, you're my, you're my colonial overlords, and I, I want to please you so badly. So, it's, it's in my blood. It's in my DNA. 
Please them. Please them. Do the murder right. Or as they say in Ireland, do the murder right. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best tonight as I do the Lambeth Poisoner, Dr. Thomas Neal Cream. <laughs> Cream? Cream. All right. There he is. Now, if we had the ability with this technology to zoom in, we'd go in real close on Dr. Thomas Neal Cream's eyes. Oh. Because they're a little off. Yeah. Yeah. A little, a little bad in the eyes. He has a touch of um, that part of the jerk when it's... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Omnigrab. The Omnigrab. Optigrab? <laughs> He's got the Optigrab eye cross. And then when you think about that as like this psychotic, mad poisoner, it's such a bad combination. Or just like, would you like to take this pill? Like... <laughs> Me or her? Me? Oh, me. Oh, no. Thank you. Well, you know I have a soft spot in my heart for crossed eyes because of my cat. Oh. So I would take Elvis. I would take any pill he gave me or her. I don't care. I would take it. They do call him the Elvis of poisoners. <laughs> That's why. That's where that came from. Um, okay, this is young Dr. Neil Cream when he was in his prime. Um, but then here's old Dr. Neil Cream, which is the picture you see more often. Oh, that's just an older picture. That's just that same picture turned around with some fuzzy shit. Yeah. They took that other picture and they left it in the sun yeah. for two weeks. Now he's older and more intense. But when I look at this picture, it reminds me of like the first and original GIF, which is my favorite of all, oh. uh, which is the dramatic chipmunk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I dig it. I dig it. Right? Yeah. If only we had the technology to put a top hat on that chipmunk, <laughs> we would be on our way. Oh. <laughs> I see it. Yeah? I love it. Mm -hmm. Next time. When we, when we go to ITT Technical College and get our <laughs> degrees in whatever, whatever you have to do. to Okay. The sources uh, I use for this story. <laughs> Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and one of my favorite websites, the multiple award-winning blog Murder by Gaslight by the author Robert Wilhelm. Um, and he has three books for sale on Amazon that look amazing that are all about um, basically the murder from around this time. So check that out. Dr. Tom Thomas Neal Cream, he's, uh, or as I like to call him, Tom Cream. <laughs> the worst name of all time. Born May, uh, May 27th, uh, 1850, in Glasgow. Yeah. <laughs> Oldest of eight children, uh, and then in 1854, the whole family moves to Quebec, Quebec, Canada. Uh, really? <laughs> It was just one girl, and she was just happened to be really loud. <laughs> it's one girl who's an opera singer from Quebec. <laughs> um, I did that as if I could... <laughs> Stop intimidating me, London. So... He's very smart, grows up smart, wants to be a doctor. He goes to McGill University in Montreal. 
Um, sure. To study medicine. Graduates in 1876 after writing his thesis on... Chewing gum. <laughs> no? Kind of. Oh. Chloroform. Oh. No one thought to red tag his file yeah. after... You know what I want to study? Poisoning people. Yeah. yeah. In like a creepy way. So that's foreshadowing. If you've ever taken a writing class. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tom Cream, majored in murder. Yeah. Uh, okay. So around the same time in 1876, he starts dating a woman named Flora Brooks. She's the daughter of Lyman Brooks, who's the owner of a hotel just outside Quebec City. And early in the relationship, she becomes pregnant. Um, not alone. He has something to do with it. <laughs> Uh, he gets her pregnant, I should have written. So um, medical student Tom Cream uh, tells her, I'm going to give you an abortion. Um, in secret, of course, because back then they were illegal. Can you imagine the fucking dark ages? Anyway. Um, but he botches the abortion, um, almost kills her. When So, of course, she has to go to the hospital. When her father finds out that she she is, you know, really sick and something's wrong with her, he takes her to the actual, you know, he goes there, finds out that the reason she's sick is because of a botched abortion, and then he basically makes Tom Cream marry his daughter at gunpoint. Literally. Fuck. Yes. Walks him right down to the church. One way to do it. Yeah. Um, so soon after the wedding, Tom Cream decides he wants to pursue his medical studies in London. Oh, that's weird. You want to get out of the entire country and off the continent? Okay. So, um, so he, uh, he leaves his young Canadian, uh, wife, Flora, behind, but not before, um, he gives her some pills that she needs to take to get better. Mm -mm. So once he's here in London, of course, the party starts. Ring comes off. It's Tom Cream. Party time. <laughs> Grows that mustache out. He's just, he rips his mustache off and runs into Piccadilly Circus, yelling, I love the circus. <clears throat> He parties, cheats on Flora constantly, never tells anybody he's married. Um, meanwhile, back in Canada, Flora's been taking the pills that he uh, prescribed to her. And in 1877, she comes down with what her doctors think is uh, bronchitis. Um, and then August of that year, she dies of consumption, which is just a generalized way of saying they died young. Um, so back... Uh, so... I wrote, I can't find any information about Tom Cream going back for the funeral, so I assume he just sent a telegram that said, thoughts and prayers. Stop. <laughs> oh. Stop. Yeah. So in London, party Tom Cream fails med school, of course. So they send him up to the Royal Colleges of Physicians and Surgeons in Edinburgh, um, where I guess the failed Londoners go to make their way. <laughs> Oh, man, you uh -huh. really gave it to them. Boom, boom, uh. yeah. <laughs> Who in God's name would start fights with the country of Scotland? I don't, what am I doing? What am I even saying? Stephen, can you mark this entire section, please? He's not here. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the ceiling. <laughs> okay, so there he... Um, 
he gets his license from what I read, which definitely could be inaccurate, but <laughs> one of the articles I read said he, there he got his license for midwifery. Oh. So okay. essentially, he was like, a, he was studying to be like an OBGYN, I okay. guess, which is, um, can you imagine that fucking no. goofy bastard popping up between your no. knees as you're going into labor? No. Like, what? <laughs> Take that hat off. Stop, yeah. stop looking at me so intensely. Uh, a year later, in 1878, he moves back to um, Canada, this time London, Ontario. So I, when, when I was reading the research that Jay sent me, I got to this part, and it was like at 1 o'clock today. Oh, no. And I immediately assumed that I'd picked the wrong murder, and this was a London, <laughs> Ontario murder, not oh. a London, <laughs> England murder. That fucking feeling when and you're like, I, I can't like, I have to do pick this. another one. <laughs> And I'm texting him, we've got a serious problem. I'd sent him like six texts in a row and then read one more paragraph. And I was like, oh, sorry, we're back in London now. Everything's fine. We're back. We're back. Meanwhile, it's like three in the morning. It was literally three in the morning for him. <laughs> poor guy. He hates me. So... <laughs> Okay, so he's in London, Ontario. He sets up his practice. Six months later, in May of 1879, one of his patients named Kate Gardner is found dead in a woodshed behind his medical practice, and she smells like chloroform. What does chloroform smell like? It's really chloroformy. <laughs> it smells like every Uber you've gotten into oh. in your whole life, essentially. Oh, I could, I could smell that. CK1? Yeah. Uh. From the past? Yeah. Whatever CK1 used to be made out of? <laughs> or the designer imposter of yeah. CK1? <laughs> Debbie Gibson's electric youth? Um, so... Dr. Cream is immediately called in for questioning. A formal, a formal inquest is held. Um, Kate's roommate, Sarah Long, testifies that Kate was pregnant and she went to Dr. Cream to get an abortion. And he testifies, Dr. Cream, yes, that did happen, but he claims she refused, uh, that he refused to conduct the procedure and that he says he just treated her for senescence, which of course I had to Google. Yeah, what is that? It means aging. So he's doing Botox? <laughs> Essentially. He basically tells, uh, testifies at the inquest that it must have been a suicide because Ugh. he didn't do anything. Um, another doctor weighs in saying no one could possibly hold chloroform over their own face long enough to kill themselves. Sure. And also that the scratches on her face would indicate there was violence during that time also not indicative of someone trying to kill themselves. I mean, check and check. Right? Yeah. But there's not enough evidence to indict him, so Kate's death is ruled a, quote, murder by persons unknown. And, um, but don't worry, because this trial ruins his reputation in Canada, okay. and everyone hates him. <laughs> yeah, well done to your <laughs> grandparents, your great-grandparents. And um, he does what anyone in that situation who's hated in Canada would do, come on down to America. So... <laughs> In August of 1879, he sets up a new practice in Chicago, Illinois. Um, so I, I just, hold on, I can't. What do you need? I need to move this. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. And then I need to just simply, okay. 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 And then if you lean on this, it's going to gra grasp it. Okay. Just grip it. Okay. Let's drive it like a bus. <laughs> uh, uh, double decker. 
Oh, oh that's fine. Don't look that's at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm better okay, now. Okay, okay. Thank you. No problem. Uh, in Chicago, <laughs> he opens a practice right in the what was at the time in Chicago their basically their red light district, um, and he becomes basically uh, secretly an abortionist for the sex workers that are in the area, and also women who you know it was illegal, but of course it got done constantly. So most doctors, he wasn't the only one. Lots of doctors did it after hours for just cash under the table. I feel like he should have known that he wasn't very good at. At it and maybe should have quit. I think that's what he was into. Oh. Okay. Because yeah, you're going to be disappointed when you learn Dr. Neil Cream's not a very good guy. <laughs> oh, man. Prepare yourself. I know. I, I don't the want mustache. you to be disappointed. <laughs> but his mustache says he's good. <laughs> Steven. So. <clears throat> Not here. So not many. <laughs> he comes running in from the back. I just keep playing. <laughs> in 1880, police um, start hearing rumors that Dr. Cream is performing abortions, so they keep an eye on him and his part-time medical assistant, a midwife named Hattie Mack. So apparently, back then at the time, to get an abortion, you had to have like a contact, and they would set up. It would, you know, they would be called midwives sometimes, but they would basically set up the deal where the doctors would meet them at a tenement apartment that no one lived in and and perform the abortion in a very unsanitary, mm-hmm. disgusting, you know, back alley style abortion. And the doctor would just come and do it and leave and there would be no trace of anything. So um, that's what Hattie Mack was helping set up. God bless her soul. Um, but in August of 1880, police discover the decomposing body of a woman named Marianne Faulkner in this tenement apartment, and they trace it back to Hattie Mack, who's the one who rented it. Mm-hmm. And when she's arrested, of course, she's immediately like, I did it for Dr. Neil Cream. Oh, and um, the pol- she tells police, Marianne Faulkner, um, she met her there because she'd brokered the deal, and um, Dr. Gr- Cream came to perform the abortion. He botched it and then left her to die. Um, what, of course, when Dr. Cream is tried for the murder of Marianne Faulkner, his defense is that actually Hattie is the one who performed the abortion, that she botched it, and he came in. He was called to try to save her life, Marianne's life. Um, and because Hattie is a black woman and Dr. Cream is a white doctor, the jury takes his word over hers and he walks free uh. due to lack of evidence. Yeah. Um, so in December of 1880, another patient of Dr. Cream's named Ellen Stack dies after taking medicine that Dr. Cream designed himself. No. So, spoiler alert. <laughs> Dr. Cream is super into strychnine. Oh. That's his thing. Okay. And apparently at a certain point, I'm sure when he was partying in London in his, in his early days, he started taking a pill that he had put together himself that was strychnine, morphine, and cocaine. Wow, that'll pack a punch. <laughs> it explains the eyes. <laughs> yeah. So um, he, I guess, tried to start doing that um, here in Chicago. Um, so, um, uh, so basically, 
Ellen Stack dies after taking this medicine, and it because this pill that he put together for her had a lethal amount of strychnine in it. Mm. Um, but Dr. Cream accuses the pharmacist, a man named Frank Pyatt, of tampering with the medication. And Frank Pyatt says that he's innocent. The case is never solved. Everybody, nobody goes to jail. In April of 1881, another patient of Dr. Cream's named Alice Montgomery dies of strychnine poisoning after she gets an abortion, abortion from Dr. Cream. And that's treated as a murder case, but again, there's no hard evidence and the case remains unsolved. Mm. Um, so then Dr. Crame starts putting together what he tells people is epilepsy medication. Oh my God, this guy's a dick. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's not a good doctor. <laughs> so... Um, some people actually swear by it. One person it works for is a, a, a elderly railway worker named Daniel Stott. Um, and Daniel Stott had a, a wife who was 30 years younger than him and quite beautiful named Julia. And sometimes he would send Julia to go pick up his medication at old Dr. Cream's office. Um, and so they, Daniel notices that Julia's like, hey, need any more medication? Or do you want me to go check on your medication at Dr. Cream's office? Um, that's right. They're having an affair. Um, and then soon they decide it would be better if Daniel Stott wasn't around to ruin their good time. So Daniel Stott is poisoned with strychnine. Um, he dies on July 14th, 1881. And when this case goes to trial, Julia Stott entirely turns and she's like, this guy did it all. It was all his idea. It was his plan. And finally this time, Dr. Neil Cream, Thomas Neil Cream, is found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. No, no. <laughs> Guys. Come on. <laughs> We're 10 minutes in. That's, that's not how it's going to go. And you know that. You know that. He's rich. So... His brother bribes the authorities, and he gets out of jail 10 years early. Um, uh, yes. Their father died, I guess, in 1887 and left then a shit ton of money. Mm -hmm. So um, he gets released in July of 1891. Uh, he's only served 10 years. So... Basically, they say after Julius Stott turned on him, his, he had always had a very obviously, um, a very problematic love-hate relationship with women. And after that whole, in, like, debacle, his hatred of women is just off the charts. An acquaintance of Dr. Crane says this about him, quote, women were his preoccupation and his talk of them far from agreeable. He carried pornograph, <laughs> he carried pornographic photographs. I'm just like, it's the late 1800s. <laughs> hey, you want to see this huge cardboard thing? It's dirty. She has all her clothes on, but she's <laughs> winking at the camera. <laughs> Showing an ankle. Do you want to see the hottest ankle I've ever seen? Um, he was in the habit of taking pills, which he said were compounded strychnine, morphia, cocaine, and of which effect he declared was aphrodisiac. In short, he was a degenerate of filthy habits and practices. Fun. <laughs> yeah, not popular. Um, okay, so now uh, Dr. Cream is a free man slash murderer, and he decides to take his inheritance and come on back to London, England. So... Right? <laughs> Mixed feelings. You don't know how to feel yeah. about it. It's already happened. There's nothing you can do. Why boo? 
He arrives on October 1st, 1891. Um, he finds himself a place to live on Lambeth Palace Road. So on October 13th, 1891, he meets a 19-year-old sex worker named Nellie Donworth. Um, and she is, witnesses see her walking with a topper. And that's a gentleman wearing a top hat. Okay. Um, and the next day, she's found slumped in her bed, apparently drunk with terrible stomach pains. And, but she's able to tell witnesses that a tall, dark, cross-eyed man gave her something to drink. Aww. Yeah. Um, quote, twice out of a bottle with white stuff in it. Where it's like, Nellie, <laughs> after the first time. Don't drink. She dies on the way to the hospital, and the cause of her death is found to be strychnine poisoning. Okay, so this is, later on when this gets in the paper, there's all kinds of hilarious drawings. So, basically, they did drawing, once he was caught, they did drawings of him handing out pills to gals like they were <laughs> fucking lining up for it. Oh, hi, neat! <laughs> and also, they actually had, uh, oh, that's after he gets caught. Mm, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I thought you winked to the audience and showed no. him your ankle. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, no one could connect Dr. Cream to Nellie's death, um, but he can't leave it alone. So he decides he's going to anonymous, anonymously write a letter to the coroner to say that he could name the murderer for 1,500 pounds. Mm, I bet it doesn't work. Mm-mm, it doesn't. It actually is the thing that gets him caught Yay. in the end. Yeah. Um, he anonymously also writes to a local business owner, a man named W.F.D. Smith, three initials, uh, must have been very rich, and he accuses him of the murder, demanding money in exchange for his silence. So these people who had nothing to do with anything yeah. that was going on are like opening these letters like, okay, <laughs> put that in the inbox. Um, so Dr. Cream strikes again on October 20th when a 27-year-old sex worker named Matilda Clover... There she is. Um, she leaves her room at 7 p.m. to meet a man that introduced himself um, by the name of Fred. And at 3 a.m., when she's back in her room after going out with him all night, she wakes up screaming in pain and telling people Fred had given her pills that she now knew were poison. Um, so <clears throat> in spite of this... Because of her background, um, and because they find alcohol in her system, they decide that she actually has drunk herself to death. Um, and she had been prescribed a sedative from a doctor earlier, so that some of that was in her system. So they're like, basically like, eh, she was all fucked up. Yeah. Let's not look into it. Um, it's not treated as a murder. It's not investigated. So... Then, of course, once again, Dr. Cream's got to get in there. He's gotten away scot-free, but he needs to write another anonymous letter, uh, this time to a very well-respected doctor named Dr. William Broadbent. Um, he accuses, Dr. Cream accuses Dr. Broadbent in the letter of murdering Matilda, and he demands money for her silence. Dr. Broadbent immediately takes it down to Scotland Yard and is like, this will probably interest you in some way. Um, <laughs> so, after Matilda's death... Dr. Cream takes a vacation back to Canada so he can buy himself 500 more strychnine pills. Holy shit. Yeah. And then he comes back to London in the spring of 1892 and basically goes on a poisoning spree. On April 2nd of 1892, Dr. Cream meets a young woman named Louise Harvey. 
Now, as you can tell by her illustration, Louise Harvey is not having it. <laughs> uh, not in any way. Uh-uh. Is that a hair hat or a hat hat? <laughs> I think it's a hat. Okay. Although it could be like real swoopy hair. Yeah. It could be. Uh-uh. I really relate to Louise Harvey. <laughs> could you, she had to sit for that picture the whole time like that. She's just like, are you done yet? <laughs> It's been seven weeks. Okay. Dr. Cream offers Louise some pills and that he tells her will, quote, put the blush back in her cheeks. Um, but she senses that something is off with this dramatic chipmunk in the top hat. So <laughs> instead of taking these, she's just like, why don't you take these pills? He yeah. keeps bringing it up. So when he's not looking, she acts like she took them and really she just throws them in the Thames, which is... My favorite. That If you're ever drinking at a bar and you have a drunk friend who keeps insisting you do shots, do what Adrian Kavanaugh does, Colesinga, and just pretend you do the shot, but just throw it over your shoulder. Just throw it behind you. Make sure there's no one behind you. Uh, or make sure there's a broke drunk who wants to squat behind you like, ah, tequila. She, dutch, she ditches those pills into the river, which I fucking love her for, <laughs> um, and basically goes on her way. So on April 11th, 1892, um, two more women, 21-year-old Alice Marsh and 18-year-old Emma Shrivel, they're both sex workers um, that he meets when he's out. He laces both their beers with strychnine pills, and they live in the same boarding house, and so that night when they're home, they both, it's the same thing, they wake up screaming in pain in the middle of the night, um, and they both die days later. Um, so at this point, the police are like, we think there might be a serial killer on the loose. <laughs> And it was Jack, the whole Jack the Ripper thing had only happened four years before. So they're like, it's, it's happening to us again. So this time the the newspapers nicknamed the mysterious killer, the Lambeth Poisoner, which was that picture I showed you. Mm -hmm. Um, so they questioned both of the doctors that those anonymous letters got sent to. Um, and of course they're both cleared of any suspicion. And then they take the letters because they're like, who, who wrote these letters? Those are very suspicious. Um, especially since the second letter refers to Matilda's death as a murder, even though she was, the coroner decided that right. she died of drinking. Right. Uh, her cause of um, her cause of death was due to drinking. So in May, <laughs> I said that perfectly. So um, in May of 1892, Dr. Cream happens to befriend an ex New York City detective named John Haynes, who's living in London. Um, he is following the Lambeth Poisoner murders really closely because it's you know what he used to do for a living, and um, he and Dr. Cream start discussing it one night over dinner, and the doctor tells Haynes um, that he can take him on a tour of the city and show him where all of these women lived and where it all happened. He's and, an idiot. Right? He can't keep his fucking crazy no. mouth shut. Um, <laughs> And while he gives this tour and and talks about the details, like really specifically of what happened to these women, he includes Matilda Clover and Louise Harvey in the stories. So um, the uh, doc, uh, John Haynes is like, 
all right, this is kind of suspicious. So he goes over to Scotland Yard and tells his best friend, Inspector Patrick McIntyre, about the whole evening. And he said, quote, he knew the places, the times, the whole commotion, even their conversations. Of course, he said he was merely conjecturing, but I watched his expression when he spoke, and well, I know this sounds dotty, but well, I swear he was there, like he'd known those poor girls intimately. Wow. So Inspector McIntyre is like, all right, let's take a look at this guy. And then they they start following him. They realize that he constantly frequents sex workers. Mm-hmm. He's kind of in the mix with them all the time. And then they contact the U.S. authorities and find out about Cream's 1881 conviction for murder by poisoning. and oh, that little thing. Right. <laughs> so they have enough evidence um, to arrest him. So on July 13th, 1892, Thomas Neal Cream is charged with the murder of Matilda Clover. His trial begins on October 17th, and the star witness is our girl, Louise Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Same look on her face as she sits in the box, (laughs) testifying that a man in a top hat tried to make her take pills, and when the prosecution asks if that man is in the courtroom that day, Louise Harvey points at Dr. Cream and says, there he sits, sir, big as life. I could not do the accent. Just four days later, on October 21st, 1892, after 10 minutes of jury deliberation, (laughs) guilty as fuck, they're like, do we have to leave the room or can we just say it now? Just have us all say it out loud. Um, Dr. Thomas Neal Cream is found guilty. So he's sentenced to hang. Sure. (laughs) Take a moment. He's sentenced to hang on November 15th, 1892. And the story goes that he's standing there with the noose around his neck on the gallows and uh, the bag over his head. And his last words were, I am Jack. And then they pull the lever and he goes down mid-sentence. No. Right. (laughs) Easy, Inspector McIntyre. Easy. (laughs) Some believe... This was him admitting to being Jack the Ripper, and that actually birthed some some theories that he was so rich he had to double go to jail for him because he was in jail mm-hmm. in uh, okay in 1888. There's no way it could have been him, but they were like, but he could have paid so who'd get paid to go to fucking jail? <laughs> like, no, I'll sock it away, and then in the bank it'll make interest. Yeah, <laughs> ten years, I'll get out. I will have made five thousand um, dollars. Uh. But others say, since this was a private execution, there was a hood over his head. There's no way anyone overheard what he was saying from there. Um, And that basically that whole theory was a way to, um, it was made up to sell newspapers. But either way, Dr. Thomas Neal Cream was the Lambeth Poisoner. And that is the chilling story of Dr. Thomas Neal Cream. Great job. Wow. I never heard of that before. Really? Shit. Right? What a dick. I mean, not cool. Not cool at all. Phew, I'm glad you were able to do that. Me too. Instead of having to change it mid for London, Ontario. When I saw the words London, Ontario, I almost killed everyone around me. (laughs) All right. Great job. Thank you. 
Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. I thought that this would be fun to do since, as I've said before, everything here is haunted, including this theater probably. So... Loch Ness Monster? (laughs) No. Um, (laughs) This is the story of the Enfield Poltergeist. Oh! It's here tonight. Oh my God. Do you see this? Um, it's, mo- it's one of the most famous supernatural cases in history. Oh yeah. Hadn't heard of it. Hi. I'm great at everything. And it's known for inspiring the 2016 movie, The Conjuring 2. Uh, saw it first showing 11 a.m. showing at the theater. Really? The Arclight. Yes. Did you know about this? I'm all about The Conjuring. The entire franchise. <laughs> Um, so I got information from Wikipedia. There's an article in People by Jody Gugliemi. Sorry. To do yours. Yes, I fucking did. Okay. Here. Shit. Stephen. Stephen. Can we get? <laughs> Let's get a little room tone. Stephen, you have to stick this in at the top of mine. <laughs> Great. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We got it. Sorry. Um, I got info from Wikipedia, an article in People by Jody Guglielmi. People magazine? Uh huh. An article um, from a website called History versus Hollywood. Um, The the PSI Encyclopedia, or Psi Encyclopedia, the Dark Histories podcast, and also as I was getting ready tonight and showering and dyeing my hair, I listened to the episode of Lost Podcast on the left about this. It was a laugh. (laughs) So. Those boys are doing good. They really are. It's really nice. So, um, let me tell you about this story. Peggy Hodgson. There you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's a 47-year-old divorcee. She's a single mom, and she lives with her four children in Enfield. It's a quiet... It's like 15 minutes, I mean, 15 miles from here, but it's about three hours. <laughs> really? <laughs> Probably, because, oh my With God, traffic? the traffic Yeah, here. traffic's crazy. And we're from Los Angeles. We're, <laughs> we're known for that. Um, we know our traffic. We do. 
So, uh, they live at 284 Green Street. She's known for being a quiet and strong woman. She works really hard to keep her family afloat. Um, it's hard financial times. She's just been divorced, and her husband's like seeing a new woman, and she's hot, I guess. Um, so, <laughs> the oldest kid is named Margaret. She's 13. Then there's Janet, who's 12. She's lively and extroverted. John is 11. Um, they don't explain why he got sent away to boarding school, but he's just kind of not in the story. They like doing that, though. Sending away kids. You don't to have to. School? It's not like America where you have to be really bad to go to boarding school. Okay. Sometimes you just go. It's okay. like, do you like little jackets? You want to wear little? <laughs> do you want to wear a little jacket and shorts all the time? Oh. Then I we're going to send you away. I just, I know this is so silly, but I just think of haunted castles when I think of boarding school. That's all <laughs> I can picture, which is great. Uh, and then there's little Billy, who's seven. Uh, here's the family. That's yours. Oh, there it is. There's his sample case, everybody. <laughs> there might be another one. I think there is another one. Oh, wait, sorry. Sorry, there might, there's another one after this. <laughs> do it, do it. It's just that they drew him. Oh, he's so cross-eyed in that. Go to the next one. They drew him cross-eyed. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't care. <laughs> Sometimes we have to turn our pictures in before we're done writing right. our murder. So you just go like, yeah, this order seems fine. <laughs> yeah. And then as, as I was writing it, I was just like, oh, all these newspaper articles are coming before the murders are taking place. <laughs> Guys, this is a really hard job. Guys. Oh, here's another one. <laughs> there he is admitting to being Jack the Ripper. <laughs> He's whispering it right into that guy's ear. No, that's the hood that blocks his mouth and I'm makes it that whole thing a lie. Right. Okay, okay. Right. sorry. No, My story is officially All over. Right. So this is them. That one in the corner, looking sullen, is Jenny. She's the one that this kind of um, like revolves around okay. for the most part. So that's them. The Hodgson family. Yeah. What year is it, sorry? This is, um, bu- 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 17, this is 1777. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> this is 1977. <laughs> America has just declared independence. It's very difficult to be a divorcee. With the colonies having broken off. But they have photography. It's crazy. <laughs> Actually, the way that picture is taken, they look like a really awesome band. Yeah, I don't know why it's crooked. Yeah. It looks like more haunted that way, maybe. They're like, ooh. Their new single, You're Haunting Me, is out yeah. this yeah, weekend. Yeah, definitely looks like he was in a Britpop band later. One, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Stop it. Okay, get serious about this. Guys. The first time anything strange is noticed is on the night of August 31st, 1977. Got it. Around 9.30 p.m., Peggy, the mom, she hears a shuffling sound coming from the uh, John and Janet's room, and she's like, God damn it, those fucking kids, probably. <laughs> I need to go shut them up. Um, but the night before, the children had complained that their beds were shaking up and down, and I'm sure she was just like blew them off, as most adults blow children off. Um, <laughs> Especially in the 70s, right? where you're like... gross oh no <laughs> oh we my god audience tonight. do we have like a bus full of 7th graders in here <laughs> is that what you guys say blew someone off oh you did 
I wish, I wish everyone else could see the front row. It's a bunch of adults going like this. I thought you guys loved sex. <laughs> this is the, this is, this is the old, should I just say it? Oh, I don't know what you're going to say. This is the thing where in our country, it's no big deal to say fanny. Yeah. <laughs> we wear fanny packs. <laughs> Or at least I do sometimes. <laughs> we all do. Okay. I mean, <clears throat> guys. So what? Get it, serious. Okay. This is about ghosts. <laughs> Please have respect for ghosts. <laughs> um, so she ignored their she behavior. Ignores their behavior, which adults like to do to children, ignore behavior oh. of children. <laughs> oh, now I get it. In the seventies. Yes. Oh, now I get what all the cringing was yeah. about. I don't know what's worse when they start booing and you don't know what they're booing or they start laughing at you and you don't know what they're they're laughing about about. yeah it's it's a really surreal experience (laughs) don't wish it upon anyone so she so Peggy goes into the room and um, Janet is complaining about the chair and it's it's making noise so um, Peggy takes the chair out of the room but when she goes back to the kids room to turn the light out the shuffling sound starts again the sound that the, she said the chair was making it keeps happening and Peggy later describes the sound as if someone was walking across the room wearing slippers so like a shuffling noise I know they're being haunted by a lazy person <laughs> Um, Peggy turns the light back on and the sound stops. It happens again and then this is when the knocking starts. Mm -mm. There's three knocks followed by a heavy oak chest that's on the wall. um, It starts moving across the room towards the door as if like pushed by an invisible force. She sees this and Peggy's like a normal woman. She's not like a, you know, I don't know, like my mom. (laughs) Like a, you know... Like a bit of a hysteric? Right. Yeah. She's not like that. She's one of those low-key people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I saw her sweater. I know. <laughs> um, Peggy pushes the chest back to against the wall, and once again, it slides back out of the room, as if trying to like block the doorway and like lock the kids in the room. It's super creepy. Um, she tries to push it back again, and it won't move. So she freaks out, grabs the kids. They go over to the neighbor's house, which I think is what most people would do, right? Yes. Uh, the Nottinghams. The Nottinghams quickly dismiss their story, but they say, okay, we'll come over and listen to odd, no- odd noises. They enter the home, and they all start hearing the knocking sound. And it's coming from all over the house, and I guess the noise is like, you know, when it's like us doing it, it's not a, it's just coming from here, obviously, but it sounds like it's coming from the whole house. Hmm. Um, it's almost like the knocks are following them around the house. Um, they don't know what to do, so they just call the police. <laughs> come arrest these ghosts, please. <laughs> Um, and the police constables arrive at around 1 a.m. So they tell the police about the haunting. I'm sure the police are like, oh, these alcoholics or whatever. <laughs> Minutes later, PC Carolyn Heaps and her coworker, they start hearing tapping coming from the walls. And they check the walls, the attics, the pipes, but there's nothing to explain these weird noises. Um, when they go into the kitchen to investigate the refrigerator pipes, thinking maybe that's the problem, Carolyn watches with the um, Hodgson's as a chair in the living room wobbles slightly from side to side and then slides across the floor about three to four feet before stopping. A fucking police person sees this. Like that? 
Um, so did you see Coronation Street last night, or? <laughs> I feel like that's like, and, and she later signs an affidavit saying that this is exactly what she saw, and she's not fucking around, and she's not an alcoholic, <laughs> whatever. Over the next few days, the, Hod- the Hodgsons and the Nottinghams witnessed Legos and marbles flying across the room. Standard. <laughs> Standard ghosting. One of the Nottinghams picks up a marble after it lands, and it's burning hot. Ew. I know, that's so ghosty. Um, on September 4th, Mrs. Nottingham calls the Daily Mirror because the police are like, that's super weird and scary, and we totally saw it. Not our problem. See you later. Right. So this, these families are like trying to get someone to take them seriously and help them. Demons are not in our jurisdiction. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. So they call the Daily Mirror just to be like, someone come over here, and um, you guys love it. <laughs> so they're hoping to get some help through the press. So a journalist and photographer come to the house and the next, the next day they see the Legos flying around the room and it even hits the photographer in the head and gives him a bruise. <laughs> is that fucked up? Yes. Or is it funny? It's funny. <laughs> well, just like, you want some proof? <laughs> it's just like, what kind of asshole ghost is this? Yeah, and they're all standing there and like, they're all, it's a bunch of people who, they're coming from nowhere. It's like, you would have seen if the kid were like secretly, bing, like, you know, sliding it and it's not happening. Right. Um, and so they send another reporter, a senior reporter and photographer to do a follow-up visit because they're like, there's a fucking story here. Um, and the senior reporter hears the knocking. It's all, it's all like legit people who hear these crazy things. And they contact the Society for, um, for Psychological Research on behalf of the family. So um, the Society is from Kensington. Uh, and it's one of the oldest paranormal investigative bodies in the world. Ooh. Yeah. They're founded in London in 1882 by a group of scientists, philosophers, and other academics. Mm. I don't know. It's the first sci- nerds. <laughs> yeah. It's the first scientific organization ever to examine claims of psychic and paranormal phenomena, and and, and it remains today as one of the most legitimate research bodies that investigates supernatural activity. So, in 1977, two society members, Maurice Gross. He's played by um, Simon McBurney in Conjuring. Okay. And Guy Lyon Playfair, played by Tom from Succession. Yes. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. Matthew McFadden. Yeah, A.K.A. Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy's in The Conjuring. Yeah. They are like, we're going to figure this out. We're like, we're the, we're the like people, in, I don't know why they have these hats on, but they're like... <laughs> ghost hats. Ghost hats. We're going to figure this out. So... Um, Objects continue to fly and move around for weeks, but by October, there's like furniture and cutlery and household objects that isn't nailed down start to disrupt various rooms of the house. So it just keeps happening. And one night, the investigation, the investigators clear all the objects that can be moved out of Janet's room, and they're like, we're going to have a test and see what happens. They get all the furniture from her room, and uh, they report that sometime after, they hear a tremendous vibrating noise coming from the now empty room. Don't. (laughs) Guys. Like someone was drilling a hole. (laughs) You can have that one. (laughs) 
They go back into the room that had nothing and no one in it, and they uh, find that the Victorian fire grate that weighs like 60 pounds had been torn from the wall. So, like, not something a little kid could do. Um, and most of the haunting is, is like, around Jenny, the, the daughter who's 12, and I guess that's kind of a normal thing for prepubescent or, you know, little girls going through puberty to kind of... Get that energy going. Yeah. yeah. A lot of drama. Huh. A lot of drama. Seriously. Yeah. Um, and I blame One Direction. <laughs> okay, let's see a photo. Oh, of Harry Styles? Oh, that's right. Oh. <laughs> that's the, the home. Looks super creepy and haunted. <laughs> oh, that's oh. her supposedly levitating. No. Right. Who the fuck is that guy? I don't know. I was going to ask you. I don't know. My glasses on. It looks like a fat Steve McQueen from here. <laughs> it does. Do you know who the poster is? Starsky and Hutch? <laughs> Starsky and Hutch! <laughs> no. All right. Someone got it right, but I don't know who. Okay. I mean... Do you want me to go back? You no. don't think that's her? Levitating? No, no, no. I'm looking at the posters. <laughs> Pay attention to this really so sorry. story. I'm so easily distracted. Okay. Um, and the pipes that supply the fireplace had been ripped in half. So, like, clearly this little 12-year-old girl hadn't done that. Probably. Okay. So, Maurice Gross and uh, Playfair are convinced at this point that the haunting is legitimate, but many members of society aren't so quick to believe it. They think the girls are playing tricks and messing around, and at school, Janet is bullied because of the stuff and called Ghost Girl. So, I don't know, like... I would love that nickname. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, I feel like if you're being made fun of, you wouldn't keep doing this. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, by November, Maurice Gross notes that the knocking sounds around the house seem intelligent, so he's like, let's ask it some fucking questions. Um, he starts out with simple questions and requests the disturbance to knock once for no and twice for yes. When he asks if the ghost is dead, they reply with 53 knocks. What? <laughs> <laughs> Would that be? What is that? Is that a super no? What is that? <laughs> it's just the creepiest thing I've ever heard. Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. Oh my god, I would scream and run. Okay. As November passes, Janet's behavior becomes more and more erratic, and at times she's very unsettled. It's almost like she's possessed. Um, Rose says she seemed to be taken over. As part of the investigation, cameras are set up in the girls' room, and they're remotely operated, and they take bursts of photos every four seconds. The images document, documented show several strange things happening in the room. The first is a pillow that appears to twist around in midair, thrown by no one. Or is it hanging off the bed? I don't know. That looks super creepy, doesn't it? <clears throat> yes. What do you think? Can you see it? I mean, I guess it is Starsky and Hutch. I don't know. <laughs> now that I'm looking at it. Um, well, I mean, that's the problem with stuff like this, is yeah. you think like, oh, a picture would prove. Yeah. But yeah, you don't have the right depth here. Right. So if it is hanging, you would need to be from the, it would need to be taken from the other side sure. to show that it's hanging in midair. Well, fuck that photo. <laughs> <laughs> And there's also a curtain that appears to twist around no one, like a curtain hanging on itself, whatever. Um, And the most extreme photos, however, are the images of Janet levitating in the air. Are they? um, And she later claims she was unaware that she went into trances until shown the photos. Like, she didn't even know that was happening. Wow. Um, 
Yeah. So, and this guy Maurice totally believes it, and it's this kind of sad for not like their their dad is gone. He stays with them and like kind of takes care of them. And the reason he is a paranormal um, investigator is because his daughter died in a motorcycle accident, and he thought she contacted him from uh-huh. beyond the grave. Yeah. So he got really into it, and it makes sense. Yeah. And so you know you have this young girl who thinks that she's being possessed or that the house is haunted and stuff, and then this guy who is probably really like grieving and they both believe in it so maybe i don't know if you believe in energy and and that i do sense i mean it's not like you can believe in energy or not it's a thing but you know psycho psych i believe in electricity (laughs) and starsky and hutch (laughs) um okay the intelligence of the disturbance progresses even further when Janet starts to speak in a gravelly, growling, and barking sounds. Okay, this is the part in any of these movies where I'm like, now I'm a believer. When that's like a 12-year-old that's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite, where I'm like, okay, it's the devil, everybody. Yeah. What more do you need? Honestly, when I heard this, I was like... Okay, yeah, I believe this. Yeah. It's the creepiest fucking thing I've ever heard. It sounds like an, an old gravelly British fellow. And <laughs> it's, it's still British. The ghost is obviously British. Um, it's, it's not so, an American ghost. <laughs> no. It's just so creepy. If you go home and listen to it, it, like, it fucking, it does, there's no explanation other yeah. than she's an incredible actress, which, I mean, she's like 11 or 12, so. I mean, Meryl Streep was once 11 or 12, so who knows? <laughs> We can't know. So it starts to have this low guttural voice, holds conversation with the investigators for months. Janet describes the experience like someone standing behind her and putting their hand on her neck, like making her talk. That's how my mom used to walk me through the grocery store. (laughs) Okay, what are we going to get today? (laughs) Like I was going to like start grabbing things and go, yeah, I was actually. You were possessed. I was possessed (laughs) by the grocery store. So to eliminate, this is weird, to eliminate the possibility that Janet's faking the voice, um, Maurice tapes up her mouth and and fills her her mouth up with water other times. That's kind of, it's necessary, I don't know. Um, And she still talks like that. Really? Yeah. It does sound improvised, essentially. (laughs) um, Can you grab that hot marble? We're going to stick it in Janet's mouth and see if she can, (laughs) if it works this time. There was a lot of stuff, like when there'd be noises at night, they'd go to check the kids to make sure they're actually asleep, and they'd like open their eyelids to check. (laughs) If they're sleeping. Yeah, it's like, well, nothing's going to wake you up like some weird (laughs) investigator leaning over your bed trying to peer into your... Tom Wamsgans opening your eyes. (laughs) Um, so then at one point, um, the voice says that its name is Bill and months. (laughs) That's not that scary. (laughs) Well, it's like, it's like the ghost who used to live there. Bill. It's (laughs) It's me, Bill. Hey, it's Bill. Uh, it turns out that the people who had lived there before had, uh, the, the father had died of a hemorrhage in his favorite chair in the living room. And the kicker is his name was Bill. Bill. <laughs> what do you want his name to be? Um. <laughs> Perfectly delivered. That's the only time we allow yelling <laughs> is when it's perfect. Yes. Leave it to the British to do the perfect heckle. (laughs) 
so they bring in like all this press. They bring in magicians to try to see if it's fake. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they bring in magicians because they're bored. They're like, do some up close card tricks for us while we sit here in this kitchen wearing headphones. But they like bring in, um, you know, spirit mediums. They bring in legit people who are who know about this stuff, and they're not able to debunk any of it. Right. That's like people trickery experts, right. essentially. Yeah. Especially if it's a little girl tricking all these people, you know. But there is the thing of like, if you want to believe in something, it'll it'll. It, no, I don't believe that. Okay. It turned out she had twelve rabbits under her bed. <laughs> The disturbances continue similarly until June, I'm sorry, July 1978, when Janet is admitted to Maldsley Hospital for extensive psychiatric testing. Mm. Two months later, she's given a clean bill of health with no signs that she doesn't have Tourette's or epilepsy or other illnesses that could explain some of the events. Um, when she returns home, the disturbances seem to calm down, and almost as quickly as they had started, the strange happenings at the Hodgson's uh, home stop completely. Mm. And the incidents at Enfield are all among the most closely recorded in any poltergeist-type situation. And all the witnesses, there's over 30 people who have witnessed this stuff. And even people who are walking by outside the house saw um, Jenny levitating in her room. Like, two people who weren't involved within it said they saw that. Shit. Yeah. And then they were like, you're arrested for being a peeping Tom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One person was called a lollipop woman. And I don't know what that means. Is that a thing? Is it like the ice cream man? Crossing guard. Crossing guard. I thought she said coffee cart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, children's coffee. That's charming. Wow, I'd never heard about that before. Oh, because the sign probably looks like a lollipop. Great job. I'm glad I didn't bother to look it up. <laughs> that was a fun discovery for us and our British friends. That's right. And the lollipop woman on the corner. <laughs> Tape recordings, mainly by Playfair and Gross, eventually total over 180 hours. Mm. And another thing is that um, other other psychic mediums would come in and be like, you can make a shit ton of money off of this. But no one made, like, they were serious. They did, Maurice and Peggy were like, not trying to bilk anyone out of money. Um, today, over 40 years later, the Enfield case remains Britain's most famous haunting. And though it's had extensive criticism, it's never been fully debunked. Mm. And although Janet, um, so as an adult, Janet admits, did I call her Jenny earlier? Damn it. Sorry. Is, does she have your mom's name? She does. You blocked it out? I really did. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she admits that two, she says about 2% of it was faked by her and her sister. She was like, you know, at some point they were kind of egging us on and we were like getting into it. Oh, like sure. Attention. She's sure. Like, oh, I swear only like 2% of the things, like maybe some of the writing that had happened and maybe some of the voices were a little bit faked, but that she won't admit otherwise. Um, and she says that she and her sister Margaret had played with a Ouija board just before the supernatural activity started. Yeah. Your favorite. Leave Ouija boards alone. I'm not fucking kidding. They are a gateway to hell. Don't mess. A gateway to Bill. Isn't that <laughs> you, do, you don't want that kind of access to Bill. 
Can I just tell you that in the Conjuring movie, the whole thing builds to the reveal of Bill the ghost in his chair. Really? And they make Bill seem like he was this total piece of shit monster in like life that's coming back to like do bad things to yeah. children or what. It's oh. so crazy. And I didn't remember that his name was Bill. <laughs> I bet you they didn't reveal that yeah, part. Yeah, that would have ruined it. Kind of ruin it a little bit. Um, and the family and direct neighbors believe the font. They think it's. They still to this day think it's real. Those who knew Peggy have no doubts about her personal integrity and, and don't think she was faking anything. Um, there's books, TV documentaries, and horror films made because of the bizarre happenings. In 2016, The Conjuring 2 has a worldwide box office debut of about 320 million. They Twelve of those were mine. <laughs> Wow. Um, the events had continued for just over a year and are witnessed by over 30 people, such as neighbors, investigators, technicians, reporters, police officers, lollipop woman. <laughs> <laughs> After Peggy dies, the house is occupied by another mother of four named Claire. She never felt comfortable in the house. And she says that she felt a presence watching, on, watching down on her and her sons, and her sons would wake up in the middle of the night hearing people talking downstairs. Guests? <laughs> Ghosts. No. Ghosts. <laughs> when she finds out about the house's history, she moves the family out two months later. Mm -hmm. I would too. And that's the story of the Enfield Poltergeist. Amazing. <laughs> yes. This show is you. Yeah, that was great. Thanks. Is there any more photos? Oh yeah. Oh shit. That's awkward. I don't. Sorry, I ruined it with that. Was that the last one? I think so. Okay. Um, this show is lovingly dedicated to Bill. <laughs> Please don't haunt us. <laughs> do we have time for a hometown? Let's do it. There's Vince Averill, everyone. Look who's here. Yo. Look who it is, Vince Averill, everybody. Tour guide, husband, Tour guide. second husband. <laughs> Not down with the scary shit at no. all. <laughs> I didn't want to tell. I didn't want to tell on you, but the reason we, I never watched it is because Vince doesn't want to watch scary. No scary shit. Um, I'll be right over what a there. sad combination this must be for you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, okay, Vince. Thanks, Vince. Okay, I won't go through the whole speech. We know you know it. We know we know you know the rules. But please, 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 um, if you can, we you have to be from. Uh, uh, please be from England. <laughs> we Americans who have flown over for a nice trip to see us because you couldn't get tickets somewhere else. We love you. Thank you yeah. so much. This isn't your part. Um, God bless you. Um, but so if you have a hometown murder that is from this country and you are also from this country, we would love to hear about it. Please be sober enough to have your story uh, be cohesive, have a beginning, middle and end, quick and fun and not fun. Also, at the same time, Georgia will choose yeah. now. And we've had some really good hometowns. Yeah. Before, yeah so so let's, let's not ruin keep it. your hand, hand yeah, on unless fine. it's awesome. No one's raising their hand. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Go that way. This way. Okay. There she goes. Where she got up and levitated over to that door. We're like, no, it's Bill in a wig. I, I think we scared everyone out of 
home of doing hometowns. You're scared. <laughs> Every, everyone else is scared. No one's yeah, I think. Well, We're also drunk uh, and polite. Right. It's a lovely combination. Uh, Will you take the lights down so we don't feel down. judged? Thank you. <laughs> All right. Nice to meet you. Thanks for being here. This is for you. It's Olivia, everybody. Olivia. Where are you from? I am from near Cambridge. Cambridge. Did you go to Cambridge? Did I? Heck, no. (laughs) (laughs) I went to a polytechnic in Lancashire. (laughs) Does that mean you party? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was a police officer, so then I really parted. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Shit. This will not be a police story, because I'm not quite sure on the Official Secrets Act what I'm allowed to share. Okay. So, <laughs> so this is a, um, a murder from Cambridge. Okay. So, this is all the way back in, t- I think it was New Year's Eve 2004. Um, I, at the time, was a forensic science student before it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) She did it first. She did did it first. first. I did it first. Absolutely. (laughs) And um, we were out. I was out of my boyfriend at the time. Definitely not together anymore. (laughs) And um, having, because it's New Year's Eve, a bit of a a shit night, because it always is. Yes. (laughs) And across the road from us was a pub that I really wanted to be in called The Avery in Cambridge. Or the hog's head, as I remember it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, finished the night, had an argument with my boyfriend, ignored him, walked off on my own with some... Uh, not on my own, with his brother's girlfriend. Because I like to try and do dangerous things, like just wander off when sure. I was drunk. <laughs> um, and we walked over to the Mill Road kind of area of Cambridge. Yeah. <laughs> They popular. love places. Yeah. yeah they really do. <laughs> Shall I just list places? Um, uh, woke up the next day and it turned out that a girl had gone missing from the Avery pub. And she had gone missing on her way home and had texted her friends saying, help, I think I'm in a taxi, but I don't think this is a taxi. <gasps> oh, no. This isn't a fun one, by right. the way. They never are. No. <laughs> Um, so they ended up doing kind of like reconstructions of where she walked. So she basically walked up whatever the hell that road is in Cambridge, turned down Parkside, walked past the police station, mm. um, but then got in what she thought was a taxi. Mm. And when they reconstructed it, she was a twin. So she was, she was a, a girl called Sally Gleason or Geeson, Sally Geeson. She was also a forensic science student, mm. but in Cambridge. So I didn't wasn't at uni with her, but I had that kind of like, oh wow, that I literally walked the same way home and was a forensic wow. science student and yeah. was the same age. Uh. She was a twin and her twin did the reconstruction, oh. which I don't know how she did it. No. Um, her body ended up being found, I think it was near the American Cemetery on Maddingley Road in Cambridge. Um, they worked out in the end who it was, and he was a soldier from Waterbeach Barracks, which is where I grew up. I grew up in this little... I used to live in Waterbeach Barracks, and then my dad left the army. We lived in Waterbeach. He went on the run, and um, they found... He eventually was found in Glasgow, and he jumped out of the hotel window and killed himself. Oh, my God. So he didn't see justice, but he did end up dead. Oh. Um, <laughs> 
And it, it turns out um, one of my friends got married quite young and was married to somebody else, uh, somebody in the army. And the murderer, guy, I think he was called David Atkinson, he's a Lance Corporal. Um, he was friends with her husband. They used to go running together. Oh, my God. So I never met him, but it was just very like, oh, I was a forensic science student. I walked that same way home. I was an idiot that night and walked off on my own. Mm. And he was connected to someone I knew. Crazy. So sorry, it's a bit of a bummer. But no, well, no, it's, <laughs> tell us, tell it's us. what we're here for. <laughs> Olivia, thank you so much. Olivia. Let's hear it for her. That was great. Thank you. Great job. Beautifully done. She came on her own, you guys. Yes. Olivia. She goes, I just left my phone with a stranger, so we're keeping our eye on you. <laughs> she took photos with her phone. Great. I looked through your pictures. <laughs> Oh my God, night wow. one in London. You yes, guys. this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. This is so incredible. We, we keep like waiting for it all to end. <laughs> and so to be back in the same giant theater that we were in last time means so much to us. Yes. You guys keep coming. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thank you for creating a community for yourselves and connecting with each other. We meet people who tell us that they come to these shows alone. They do it for the first time. They meet people. They make friends with people they're sitting near or they're hanging out with. It's a, you guys are making something, uh, <laughs> via our show that we are so proud of that it's such a beautiful thing to get to be able to see in real life and we just honestly want to sincerely thank you so much for everything you're doing for each other it's beautiful it's really lovely thank you guys we're honored to be a part of it we we want you to stay saved and do God's missions always Please. Always. But more than that, we want you to stay sexy. And. Thank you, London. Thank you so much.